what's better than two professionals talking Flyers hockey? Two amateurs. This is Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now put the kids to bed and crank it up. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. I'm your host, Mark Giannone. And with me, as always, is Dan Silver. Dan, how are you, bud? Mark, what's going on? I'm good, man. It's, we're at the finish line, buddy. Yeah, it's insane. It feels like just yesterday this whole season started, and it seems like just yesterday me and you were screaming back and forth about the Flyers probably weren't going to make the playoffs. I think me and you even said at one point that the point uh, accumulation of Giroux and Couturier would not last an entire season, and you could color us wrong, I, I would say, at this point. Well, certainly on uh, Giroux yeah. and Vorich. I mean, you know, I didn't think that those guys would sustain a point-per-game pace when you're looking at it a month or two into the season, and they obviously have. And Giroux is, uh, we'll get to a little bit later, but he's just getting completely disrespected by everyone when it comes to uh, MVP talk, because he should be right up there. Yeah, I don't understand that. And I, I feel like it's not just this season with him. It's been for a couple, pretty much like for a large portion of his career, he's never gotten the respect that he probably really deserves. And when you look at the numbers that he's had, every now and then they'll, on the TV broadcast, they'll put up you know his point total or goal, goal total for the last however many years. And he always ranks up among the best in the league. So he's probably one of the more underrated players in the league, but we'll get into that a little later. I want to lead off, of course, with the Flyers. They're obviously... they're. They win and they're in, or they get a point and they're in. As we sit right now, it's Friday. The game tomorrow against the Rangers is as big a game as the Flyers have played in quite some time. They need one point. One is the magic number, and if they get that, they're in the playoffs. The Rangers are coming in with some motivation. They don't want to let the Flyers in. You know, there's still that rivalry, of course, and you mentioned before we uh, started recording, Henrik Lundqvist says he remembers... 2010 and he doesn't want that to happen again so here we are eight years later and he he is not the player he was in 2010 obviously but do you you think that Lundqvist catches some lightning in a bottle for one game and can keep the Flyers from that one point I mean I I will not be surprised if Henrik Lundqvist shuts out the Flyers I mean you know like you said 2010 the Flyers and Rangers were playing final game of the season. Winner goes to the playoffs, I believe. And yeah. Flyers go going to the shootout. The Flyers are historically bad in the shootout. They are far and away the worst team in the history of the shootout. I looked up some stats this week. Three of the last four seasons, they've had the most shootout losses in the league. Wow. That's insane. So they go into the shootout. They need to win. They're going up against one of the best goalies of all time, and uh, they they win, right? Giroux and Briere scored, I think. So mm-hmm. now you've got a Rangers team that basically they're you know three quarters of the way through the season. Their GM sent out a letter to the fan base, basically saying we're trading everyone. This is a rebuild. The team has had nothing to play for. Now all of a sudden they've got a huge game to play for 
uh, against the Flyers because uh, Florida, I believe, plays Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So this Flyers game is going to be before Florida plays. So the Flyers, for all they know, they need to get at least one point to make the playoffs. Well, Lundqvist came out, I think, yesterday or today and was like, yeah, I remember 2010. And, uh, you know, it'd be pretty sweet to help prevent these guys from making the playoffs. And Lundqvist has always been a guy that's just given the Flyers shooters nightmares. So, I I don't know. I won't, Nothing will surprise me. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers win one nothing. Obviously, they're a better team than the Rangers are right now. And they clearly should win the game or at least get a point. But it's nothing like a little drama with Rangers Flyers uh, to close out the season. Yeah, I feel like that whole rivalry has kind of taken a backseat. Obviously, the big one these days is the Flyers and the Penguins. But it's always good to have a Philadelphia and New York rivalry, really in all sports, because it's just fun. I mean, I hate, I absolutely despise New York City and everything that has to do with it. So I love that rivalry anyway. Um, I think it would be soul-crushing, to say the very least, if the Flyers lost one nothing. Um, I can't even imagine. Twitter probably would shut down. It would like implode if that happened, especially if it had anything to do with a move that Dave Haxtall caused. Uh, but I just think the Flyers are just so much better than the Rangers at this point, and they, you know, they've they've had some success lately. They haven't been as bad against Lundqvist as they have really the last couple of years. I think that, and I said this a few games ago, or a few episodes ago about the Flyers, I think it was going into the Boston game. Or no, it was the Pittsburgh game at home. And I said the game would be won or lost in the first 10 minutes. If the Flyers come out and just blow the doors off of the Rangers and just say, look, we're better than you, we know it, you're in our way, we're just going to step on you and we're going to the playoffs, and you can watch us on TV. If they go with that mindset of we are the superior team and we're going to prove it, then I think they will have no problem winning this game. But we've seen the Flyers in big game situations have a lot of times played down to the opponent, they've come out kind of flat, and struggle for a large portion of the game to get their legs under them. They've had, you know, when the puck drops tomorrow, they're going to have, they would have had a day off. And to kind of like, to to let it all set in that, look, this is it. Our entire season essentially comes down to one game. Now, it's not that if they lose, they're not in the playoffs at all because Florida still has to win out. But you you have something that's so valuable in sports, you control your own destiny. So why not just go out beat the brakes off the Rangers, and just take all hope away from the Panthers going into their game Saturday night. So they already know there's nothing we can do. And they're already out of it. And the Flyers just, you know, get a couple of days off and go into Wednesday or Thursday, and and here we go, playoff time. Yeah, I mean, the Rangers have lost uh, eight out of the last ten games. But, wow. again, it's the Flyers, right? Yeah. I mean, in the game last night against the Hurricanes, they were uh, that game looked questionable at, at times. You know, the, the the beginning of the second period, the Flyers just were not playing well, and the game was in the balance. Uh, they uh, they just simply outpowered the Hurricanes. They they greatly outshot them, and they ended up winning the game. But there was a time there where you were like, okay, what's we might not win this game, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, great. It's it's a 
this is what Gary Batman wants, right? All these three-point games out there. He wants it to come down to the final game of the regular season. As you pointed out before we started this, just, just talking to me, there's a possibility that there could be a play-in game on Tuesday. Why don't you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, that would be wild. And uh, I saw that on Twitter today, courtesy of the uh, the great writer Dave Isaac, obviously covers the Flyers for uh, – the Courier Post and USA Today, but he put out an interesting tweet that, like, right before me and you started doing this, I saw, and it's such a bizarre scenario, but it is a possibility, but it's probably not going to happen. And uh, he says, the NHL says that if Flyers lose in regulation by two goals tomorrow, and then he put in parentheses, for some reason they count shootout toward goal differential, and the Panthers win their final two games via shootout, the Flyers and Panthers would play a play-in game on Tuesday. Now, me and you were saying, I don't think this has ever happened in the NHL. I don't think there's ever been a play-in game. Obviously, it happens almost every year in baseball, and it's exciting. Now, I mean, playoff baseball is exciting anyway, but when you get that one game, your whole season literally comes down to one game, and it's winner-take-all, it's do-or-die. It's such an exciting game to watch, and if Gary Bettman wants to generate excitement for the league, that game would certainly do it, but like I said, I think it's for that exact scenario to play out is so bizarre and it's so improbable that I I just don't think it's going to happen, but the thought of it is it's something fun really just to think about, to watch just one game. Your whole season comes down to one game. It would be incredible. I mean, the way that this franchise goes, I, who knows? Maybe it'll happen. I mean, it would be I, a nice. I, it would be a nice to uh to be the first play-in game. And like I said, I don't know. There's could have been one before, but where would it be played? To see that, I don't know. I, I he doesn't say, and that's a very good question. Where would it be played? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm assuming at that point that they're tied in every category so you can't give the edge one way or the other i guess you flip a coin do you i don't mean, know where you, you played in a neutral location we played it played in minnesota so all the fans up there who hate the uh, eagles fans could throw stuff at the flyers yeah i mean maybe you meet halfway and you play in carolina and that's just your neutral site yeah they're not you, we could play in northern canada okay there maybe russia i don't put know. it outdoors does Gary uh, Bettman yeah, have enough I, time to book an outdoor arena? Yeah, let's. Well, you don't even but just lake. Let's set up a rink on Lake Michigan and go at it. And we'll have it 2 p.m. during the week, so nobody sees it and won't put it on TV. Have it 2 a.m. <laughs> Ice will probably be better. Oh man, I, that, it would be cool though. But I want to backtrack to something when you're um. We're talking when we were talking about the Rangers a little bit ago, and you said uh, you got to reiterate because I, I already it already slipped my memory. How many have they lost? What, what's They've their lost part? eight out of the last ten games, and one of the two wins was against Buffalo. Oh, okay. Well, so the really the, the only win in the last ten games for the Rangers against their actual NHL team was against Carolina. Okay. So the Rangers stink right now, but I don't think it matters. Well, Lundqvist literally may come in and make 74 saves and shut out the Flyers. Yeah. I mean, a guy like Henrik Lundqvist, the best-dressed man in the NHL, it doesn't take much for him to heighten his game. Obviously, he's never been 
I mean, historically, he's never been that great of a playoff goalie, but I feel like in a situation like this where he's just playing for pride, it might heighten it. But when I hear that they've lost that many, um, I it, it immediately takes my brain back to early or late March, right? Yeah. Late March when uh, the Dallas game, Dallas came in losing, I think, same thing, like 8 of 9 or something, and a week, uh, exactly a week before that, the Detroit game, where Detroit came in losing 10 in a row, the Flyers lost both of those games, and they lost both by one goal. So, and they were regulation losses, right? Uh, the Dallas game uh, was a overtime loss. Right. The Stars had lost eight games in a row. Yeah, so that whole... And that just brings me back to me to my point saying that the Flyers have played down to teams that they should just bury. Those are two my entire games. Life they have been. Yeah, right. <laughs> Those are two games they should have buried their opponent and didn't. And you know, lost just didn't get any points against Detroit. Only got one against Dallas. Now in this game, if you you know just making it to overtime, you're in the playoffs. But I really think that it would not surprise me one bit if the Flyers came out flat in this game. That, the stadium's going to be on fire. It's going to be jumping. I, w- I wish I could be down there, but if they can't get motivated for that, then even if they make the playoffs, you're just kind of feeling a little queasy going into any series, especially now that they're going to be, it, it looks like anyway, it, it, I'm trying to find the standings, but it looks like they're going to be the last wild card spot, which is insane how we're even here because of, how good they were just a couple of months ago fighting for first place, and now they're the last wild card spot and could end up playing either Buffalo or, I'm sorry, yeah, right, or Tampa Bay or Boston. Yeah, I mean, right, it all depends on. So right now the Flyers are in the final wild card spot with 96 points. They're one point behind New Jersey uh, and one point behind Columbus. Right. So Columbus plays on the road at Nashville. And Nashville, that game doesn't really matter for them because they clinched the President's Cup. So you'd have to think that Columbus, who is also only one point behind the Penguins, will probably beat Nashville. So let's say Columbus wins that game. They've got 99 points. So now the Flyers are one point behind New Jersey. The Cap- the New Jersey plays against the Capitals the final game of the season. And that game is – where is that game? Is that game – that game's in Washington. So they're playing against Washington. Now, Washington has nothing to play for. So uh, although they're tied with Toronto with 103 points, I don't know how the home ice works, whether or not the Metropolitan Division winner could be a on the road against the third-place team in the Atlantic if they have fewer points. But anyway, you have to think that the Devils probably have a little bit more to play for than the Caps. So if the Devils and Columbus both wins, the Flyers, the best they can do is the, the second wild card, which mm-hmm. they'd be playing against Tampa or Boston, um, which is not good. We'd much rather be playing against Washington. So it's, it's so interesting at this time of the season because Washington would probably rather play against New Jersey than the Flyers, which would give Washington impetus to lose against New Jersey. But you can't – it's like it's like David Bowie's Labyrinth. It's like – you can't once you start going down one of these corridors, you just you know lose yourself. So basically, the bottom line is the Flyers need to get at least one point. They'll be in the playoffs, and uh, and then we'll take it from there. There's still so many possibilities left, which is incredible. You could always hope too that 
the Devils and Columbus both end up losing, and the Flyers win, and then they just jump up and get that uh, third spot. And then they'd be playing against the Penguins. Yeah. Okay, you're right. I guess you're right. I don't want that. Just stay where Yeah. I don't know. Look. We need to hope that we win and the Devils lose, and then we play Washington in the first round. Right, Unless Columbus loses. So, again, there's just so many scenarios. How about being a St. Louis Blues fan right now? Yeah. Like, the scenarios for them to make the playoffs, you know, they somehow lose at home with three seconds left to the Blackhawks this week, which meant that no matter what, their final game of the season at Colorado is for a playoff spot. If Colorado wins in regulation, they are in the playoffs, and St. Louis is out. St. Louis wins in regulation, or it depends on what happens tonight with St. Louis and the Blackhawks. But, um, you know, there's different permutations. But St. Louis now has won in Colorado, take on the Avalanche, who have been struggling, but they've got MVP frontrunner uh, Nathan McKinnon, and you're going on the road to play them, and you've got to win. And now, obviously, this is big for Flyers fans, because the Flyers have the St. Louis Blues' first-round pick, unless mm-hmm. it's top 10, which is highly unlikely. So Flyers fans need to be rooting for Colorado to beat St. Louis tomorrow night so that the Flyers can get the 15th pick in the draft. Yeah, that'd be great. So now that we're pretty much both in or agreement that the Flyers are probably going to go to the playoffs. So the big question going into the playoffs, and it seems like we have this every time the Flyers go to the playoffs, is the goaltender. Now... Brian Elliott, the moose, as they call him, returned last night against Carolina, um, allowed three goals, looked shaky on a couple of them. And, I it, I mean, he's the guy, he, obviously, going forward. So what's your – do you have a confidence level in Brian Elliott going into the playoffs? No, of course not. I mean, the yeah. guy's coming back from core, core muscle surgery. And, yeah, Dave Haxtell came out. I think today, it was either last night after the game or today, and basically said, Brian Elliott has earned the right to be our goalie. So Brian Elliott is the favorite to play every single game from here on out for the Flyers this year. He'll, I mean, he'll obviously be playing tomorrow. It's it's worrisome because he gave up two horrible goals. One of them looked like Michael Layton, Stanley Cup Finals, Game oh, 6 overtime. That hurts. Uh, yeah, but, you know, Elliott... Hopefully he can play himself into shape. You, you don't know how intense the surgery was. Obviously, you know, Shane Gossesbear and Claude Giroux took over a year and a half to get back to playing uh, normally after their core muscle surgery. So I doubt this Elliott surgery was, was anywhere near as intensive as that, but we don't know. So, you know, it's Elliott's ship, and, and we'll see what happens. But it's obviously worrisome. And no matter who they play in the first round, the Flyers are going to be a big underdog simply because of the uncertainty at the goalie position. We got to hope that Everett gets knocked out of the WHL playoffs and Carter Hart can come up and lead us to the cup. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that would be the best case scenario, I guess. But I mean, you bring up obviously his core, you know, his core injury and. The obvious two reference points to bring up are Gossip Bear and Giroux, but the difference there is maybe his wasn't as invasive, maybe it wasn't as intense as the other two, but the position that he plays calls upon his core to do so much more than the other two that even if it wasn't as severe an injury, 
I feel like the risk is, and I'm not a doctor, obviously, but I feel like the risk is so much higher in a goalie, in a goaltender because of all the moves he has to make. And he didn't look that sharp yesterday. And on a couple of the, you know, there was one he got very lucky on where he ended up at like the face-off dot picking up his stick and, you know, it just so happened that Carolina didn't have the puck, so they got saved there. But it's it's just risky, and he is the best option, and that's not saying much for the Flyers' goalie situation that Brian Elliott coming off of core muscle surgery and not having played in a couple months is your best option over guys that you've had playing for the last couple months. But, I mean, he really is, and the playoffs are a different animal. And he's got to be as sharp as he possibly can be. And I'm with you. I don't have much confidence. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is at this point. If you're in the playoffs, you have firepower. So he needs to be as sharp as possible. And that puts so much more pressure on the defense in front of him. They can't afford those big defensive breakdowns that they've kind of been having in the last couple weeks, months, whatever, and leaving the goalie out to dry. They have to be... They have to be better than their best game because they're playing with a wounded a wounded goalie. Say what you want. The Flyers can say all they want that he's, you know, 100% or whatever, but there's no way he is. There's just not. I mean, he's only had one he's going to have two games and then he's in the playoffs. There's no way he's going to be at peak performance, at peak health for this playoff run. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh <sighs> got to just hope that uh, he plays himself back into shape and that it wasn't as invasive a surgery as as some of the ones that some of these other guys had. But, yeah, I mean, there's not much more to say about the goaltending situation. I mean, the only yeah. good news is that Morazic has had games where he's played well enough that would give you some confidence in the playoffs. He's obviously had some really bad games, too. He's so inconsistent, and it's highly unlikely the Flyers reset. But, uh, you know... It's yeah, it's it's going to be on Elliot, and he's going to have guys like Brandon Manning and Andrew McDonald in front of him. How about that turnover last night from McDonald coming around in front of the net? He gets like steamrolled on the post, just gives up the puck in front of the net to I think Tara Vinen and, and yeah. uh, Rajo, um, and Elliot had to uh, I think make a little poke check, but but he's yeah, really I mean, look, there's no watch. there's no way to sugarcoat it. If this team makes the playoffs, it's it's going to be a bad situation from a goalie perspective. Yeah, I think it's almost I think it's as close to a guarantee as you could get that we see more than one goalie in the playoffs for the Flyers. And only if Elliot gets hurt. What's that? I mean, I think it's going to be only if Elliot gets hurt. I mean, I think they're going to play Elliot until either he get they get blown out or he gets hurt. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously I'm hoping for his health. Obviously, we're all hoping for the best, but it's it's um, I don't know. It's like you said, there's not much more you could say. You pretty much at this point just have to, you know, ride with it and let Jesus take the wheel and go from there and hope for the best. But we were talking before we started uh, before we started the podcast here about the blatant disrespect for the captain of this team, Claude Giroux, in in regards to the Hart Trophy. Now, if you look on Twitter, if you watch NHL Network, his name isn't even being whispered as one of the favorites for this trophy. I can't figure out why. Basically, everybody on Twitter can't figure out why. The Like, the whole city of Philadelphia cannot figure out why. And 
I I don't know why there's the continued disrespect and the continued under um underplayed nature of Claude Giroux, but this is a guy who's having the best season of his career at 30 years old, and he can't even get a whisper of being a Hart Trophy candidate. Yeah, so let's talk about this a little bit, right? Looking at the of NHL leading scorers, Connor McJesus has 106 points. He is, if the NHL did an award for best player, he would win. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL. But it's now sort of stuck in people's minds and the voters that you got to make the playoffs to be eligible to win MVP. So McDavid might win, but I doubt it. We'll see. Then you've got Claude Giroux, second in the league with 99 points. Nikita Kucherov is third with 98. Then Malkin's got 97, McKinnon with 95, and Taylor all with 93, and then Kopitar with 92. So points-wise, Giroux is leading the way on playoff teams. So right there, because voters typically look at points and who makes the playoffs, you would think that Giroux, the favorite, would at least be among the top three. No. So let's look today. NHL Network puts out a poll. Vote for who's the best in the NHL. The nominees are, are Connor McDavid, Evgeny Malkin, Nathan McKinnon, Taylor Hall, Nikita Kucherov, and hilariously, Alex Ovechkin, who <laughs> I guess because he's got 47 goals is, yeah. you know, and Alex Ovechkin is in the spotlight, but Drew's got 15 more points in it. So it's a little ridiculous. Uh, I look today at some different stats, old school and new school, because we know Drew who's got the points, but how valuable is he in comparison to his teammates? So at the, the old school stat, let's look at plus minus. I, I basically identified six guys who I thought were legitimate MVP candidates. Drew, McKinnon, Paul, Kopitar, McDavid, and Kucherov. Of those players, Drew has the best plus minus at 24. Kopitar second at plus 23. And then the other stat I looked at, which is um, – a new school stat is relative Corsi four percentage, which is basically, you know, Corsi takes a look at when you're out there uh, shots for your team and against your team. And relative Corsi looks at that Corsi percentage relative to um, the rest of your teammates. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the higher the Corsi 4%, the relative Corsi 4%, the more valuable you are in comparison to your teammates when you're out there on the ice. So of those, Giroux's got the best relative Corsi 4% at 4.38. McKinnon's 3.95. Taylor Hall's 3.74. So both of those metrics, not even looking at points, which Giroux is leading those guys in, aside from McDavid, has the best... Uh, relative Corsi 4 and the best plus minus. So the argument that Giroux is surrounded by good players doesn't really hold as much water because he's that much better than his teammates when it comes to generating shots on ice. So here's what he, here's my theory on why Claude Giroux doesn't get any respect. And it's the same reason that Team Canada never gives him any respect when they start picking guys for the Olympics or the World Cup. Giroux's in this age group where his contemporaries are guys like Jonathan Taze, who's won multiple Stanley Cups, 
Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, who have won multiple Stanley Cups. Uh, Anzi Kopitar, who's won multiple Stanley Cups. So I think Giroux is sort of perennially, perennially looked at as being not as uh, good as those guys. I think people just see, they're used to thinking of that age group of guys and Giroux is not among the best, right? That's just ingrained in their minds. Now, the other factor is people are always infatuated by youth, right? They want to find who's the next up-and-coming superstar. So that's where guys like McKinnon, Taylor Hall, and Nikita Kucherov, and obviously Connor McDavid come in because those guys are the young stars, right? Like they're not, they haven't already been pegged as to where they fall amongst their peers. So I think Giroux has just got these these two things going on where people don't think he's as good as his peers and there's the young up-and-comers that people always like looking at. And so Giroux kind of just falls through the cracks. And it's it's a real shame because his previous career high in points was 93. He's got 99 right now. He's going to be hopefully at 100 points if he gets a point against the Rangers. Hopefully Lundqvist doesn't shut us out. And he just gets absolutely no respect when it comes to MVP voting, and, you know, it's. I think he's probably not going to finish in the top three just because people don't look at it like that. Now, if if you put a gun to my head and told me, gave me a vote for MVP, I still think I might go Nathan McKinnon just because he, that team from where they were last year and where they are this year, and I think it's almost all Nathan McKinnon is extremely impressive. But I'd go Drew second in MVP voting. Uh, and he's it's he's just I don't think he's going to get the votes and it's it's disappointing I, I think the only way that Claude Giroux is going to get the respect that he deserves is if the Flyers win the Stanley Cup because I just don't think he's going to be looked at like a Crosby Malkin Kopitar Taze or Kane I think and I, I think this I think this is true in all sports that and you made a little bit of mention to it the MVP is often given to or thought of, you know, when you think about the top uh, candidates for that award, you're usually people think of just the best player. And and you're right. If you gave out a best player award, Claude Giroux probably wouldn't be in the, in the conversation. But when you're talking about value to the team that they play on, then Claude Giroux has to be in the conversation. I was not big on Claude Giroux coming into this season. I thought he was past his prime the whole bit. And you see the memes, and it pisses me off when I see the memes of the Jason Kelsey at the Super Bowl parade and the picture of him screaming, and it says, Claude Giroux's past his prime. Well, let's, I mean, my thing with that is, when people were saying that about Claude Giroux, you have to look at how the season he was coming off of. And he didn't put up the best numbers. He put up subpar numbers to the level that we expect him to play at. So you can't, you know, it's easy. It's easy to hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back at it now, yeah, we were wrong, but it wasn't stupid at the time to say that Claude Giroux was past his prime because based on how he played the previous couple of years, it looked like he wasn't going to have a season like he did. But he had an epic season as a 30-year-old. And I went ahead and I looked up the best 30-year-old seasons in NHL history. And as of right now, as he sits with 99 points, he is tied for 11th with Dave Anderchuk. 
tied for 11th. I mean, he is the best 30-year-old player outside of Daniel Sedin right now in the NHL. Now, I mean, it's it's crazy to me that he's not because a lot of the times, and you're right, the Stanley Cups probably have a lot to do with it. But you can't put past performance of teams and hold it against a player now. I agree with you. Gun to my head, I'm taking Nathan McKinnon because it's. It, I mean, you hit it on the head. From where that team came from last year to where they are now, it's probably a thousand percent on Nathan McKinnon. But Claude Giroux, it seems year in and year out, his value to the Philadelphia Flyers is so underplayed on a national scale that it doesn't make. It's just mind-boggling to me. I pray to God, if the Flyers get one goal tomorrow and lose the game, I hope Claude Giroux touches the puck either as an assist or a goal on that on that one goal that the Flyers would get because I want him so bad to get these to get that 100 points. I want him to hit that century mark. This is at a historic season, an epic season that we are seeing not only in NHL history, but in Flyers history. This is one of the best seasons from a Flyer at his age that we have ever seen. Claude Giroux, when this is all said and done, when his career is all said and done, he is in the conversation as one of the top three to five best Philadelphia Flyers to ever play in the NHL, even if he never wins a single Stanley Cup. Because there are guys in that conversation that have never won Cups. And Claude Giroux, as far as a leader, as far as value to his team, ranks up there with the Eric Lindrosses of the world, with Bobby Clark, with whoever you want to mention as a Philadelphia Flyer great. His value to this team is just off the charts. And you know what? We don't need, as a city and him as a player, he doesn't need the validation of the NHL to know that he's a great player. He's had a great season. He won the Bobby Clark Award for the Flyers, which is an achievement in itself. So Claude Giroux has nothing to... I mean, he just... If if he let the league get him down and if he let the league's perspective of him get him down, then he would have packed it up a long time ago and not played because the league has been down on him for years. You mentioned it with Team Canada. We see it all the time with Team Canada, and now we're seeing it with the MVP race. It's ridiculous, but it is what it is. Claude Giroux is just not going to get the respect league-wide that some of those other players do. And you're probably right. It all comes down to Stanley Cups. Even if he gets one, the conversation becomes, well, the other guys have multiple. So he is in a lose-lose situation. He just has to understand that he's playing for one of the most historic teams in the NHL, and he's going to rank up there with some of the best players to ever play for this organization. And that should be enough for him. And they're going to win a Stanley Yeah. You think so? There, I'm, I'm, yeah, absolutely. They're uh, not this year. No, but obviously I not. Think that I, I think that next year, the 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 door gets slammed open pretty wide for this team to win a Stanley Cup, and I think a lot of it obviously depends on the goaltenders and how fast Carter Hart can become a a good NHL goalie, um, or even Felix Sandstrom. But the way that Travis Konechny and Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom and Travis Sanheim have come along this year and taken huge strides. Those guys are just going to keep getting better and better. And guys like Giroux and Voracek are are not going to fall off a cliff. 
Yeah. I mean, Giroux, if he puts up 100 points this year, I mean, what's he going to do next year? Is he, you know, I mean, 80 to 90? And then the year after that, maybe 80 to 90? So, you know, those guys are not going to fall off a cliff. Look, Ovechkin is 32 years old, and he put up 47 goals this year. It's kind of a renaissance for those older guys. So I think I think Drew is going to win the cup. And um, I can visualize it right now, you know. So <clears throat> I think that's the only way he gets the respect he deserves, and I think it's going to happen. I think what's what's been so important for Claude Giroux, and you mentioned Jake Boracek, is the resurgence, is this upbringing of, of youth. They don't have to be the only guys anymore. They're not the only guys anymore. Konechny is emerging as a legit scorer in the NHL. And Nolan Patrick, it took him a while, but he's starting to hit his stride. And, Pat, and uh, Oscar Lindblom, you know, He's going to get experience in the playoffs. He's going to start the the season with the team next year. And, you know, he's going to have that experience of having played in the NHL, having played in the NHL playoffs. And he's good chance he hits the ground running at the start of next season. So, Giroux and Voracek, they're not the only guns anymore. The Flyers have players. The Flyers have talent. We're hitting that point that we've all been waiting for for so long. And you're right, it all comes down to the goalies next year, what Carter Hart does, his progression, you know, Felix Antrim's now with the Phantoms, so we see what happens with him. It's all, a lot of the success next season is going to hinge solely on that goaltender position. But scoring won't be a problem for them next year. You're going to have, you know, the defensemen are going to be one year better. Travis Anheim should be here full-time next year. Robert Haig should be here full-time next year. These are guys that now have experience, you know, a good chunk, chunk of experience in the NHL, so they're going to be that much better. So it all you're right, it all comes down to the goaltender, but Claude, I mean, Claude, there's no reason why he should fall off a cliff next year because he's not the only guy anymore. He's playing with so many talented guys that it should keep his level of play exactly where it is this year. And I'm not, you know, is does he come back with another 100-point season? Maybe not, but I don't think that he's going to go from 99 or 100 points and next year comes back with 60. That's just not going to happen. I think he's has another, and I can't believe, it, that's what I'm saying. It's crazy that I'm saying this now because at the beginning of the season, I would have never said this, but seeing how he plays with all this young talent, he has another two to three years of high-end play in this league and you're probably right. If they get this goalie thing situated, if they get it figured out finally after all these years, there's no reason the Flyers can't, and it may not be next year because of the contracts at the goalie position that they have, but the year after, there's no reason why they can't start competing realistically for a Stanley Cup, especially now that they're going to have the money that they need to you know, make some tweaks to the roster. I don't see... I really hope I'm not visualizing it like you are, the Stanley Cup. I wish I were, because it sounds like a miraculous thought. But I really hope that Claude Giroux gets it. And I, if if you asked me where I think the chances are, I think it's better than 50% that the Flyers win a Stanley Cup with Claude Giroux, and then he rides off into the sunset right after. Yeah, I mean, first, I don't want to anger our Swedish fans, so... Uh, Sandstrom, I believe, is going to be loaned back to his team in Sweden next year. So we're not going to be depriving the Swedish fans of Sandstrom next year. What I heard was that 
Hextall had signed him to an entry-level contract because they were worried that if they didn't do it now, um, that if they and if they didn't sign him next summer, he would have gone back into the draft. So, okay. or he would have become a free agent. I don't know. But so they signed Sandstrom, and he's probably going to be back in Sweden next year. I believe that's the plan. Um, and so, who knows what's going to happen with with he's not going to be over here next year. Carter Hart, who knows NHL or AHL. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, the young kids are just coming along so well, which brings up an interesting question, right? Robert Haig has been matched, you know, the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Brandon Manning is in instead of Haig. We can all agree Brandon Manning is is as pr- close to a useless NHL player as it gets. He's and he's an unrestricted free agent. So the Flyers are very likely not going to have him back. If the Flyers make the playoffs, I'm going to be very interested to see what Dave Haxtell, who's been making a lot of questionable decisions of late, does with the Robert Haig Brandon Manning dichotomy. Because you would think that you would want to get Robert Haig playoff experience moving forward. But the games that matter right now, he's playing Brandon Manning over Robert Haig. So I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, my gut instinct says probably just keep playing Manning, but it would mm-hmm. sure be nice to get Robert Haig some playoff experience. And, you know, the last few weeks, I feel like a lot of Flyers fans want this team to miss the playoffs because they're so angry at Dave Haxtell that they think that if that happens, maybe Haxtell will get rid of him, which I don't think is the case. But some of these decisions he's making recently, I mean, he, he's taken the law off, off center. He's put him on the wing because he wants Yuri Laterra centering. Um, Valtteri Filpula played more minutes last night than Claude Giroux, MVP candidate Claude Giroux. Filpula played more minutes. Now, a lot of it's because the Flyers didn't have power play in the game. But still, I mean, come on. you got to get the MVP candidate out there a little bit more than Filpula. He's just so comfortable with him that now I'm a little concerned that they might look at re-signing Filpula. But, you know, Hackstall's had a lot of questionable decisions over the last few weeks, and the Haig-Manning situation is going to play into it going into the playoffs. So it's it's, it's an important, uh, you know, this is going to be an important playoff stretch for, for Hackstall too, assuming that Hackstall is actually evaluating it. Yeah, I think um, I think it's... A foregone conclusion that I think, for whatever reason, Dave Haxall loves Brandon Manning, and I would be very surprised if Brandon Manning was scratched in place of Robert Haig for the playoffs, because I think that Dave Haxall thinks that Brandon Manning is much more of a solid defenseman and more reliable. That's obviously not the case if you, you know, just open your eyes for two seconds and watch them play. But, I mean, another... You brought up his questionable decisions, another questionable decision. And, of course, you know, it, it may be ill-timed to bring this up, but the fact that Michael Roffel was playing on the top line with Giroux and Couturier, and I think going into – and another t- uh, tweet I saw, I don't remember who put it out. I think it might have been Sam Carr Chidi, um, that Giroux and Travis Konechny each have five points – uh, in the last however many games against Henrik Lundqvist, connecting as three goals of those five points. So I think that go all in and just don't get cute at this point. Go with what's been working. Put Travis, you know, leave Travis connecting on that top line. 
it's not time to screw around. It's not time to get cute and finagle with your lineup. Go with what works. Go with what's had success. Leave Konechny on that top line and just let those let those three be your driving force tomorrow. Let those three, you know, be your horses that you're gonna put you know, you're gonna put the team on their shoulders and say, You're our guys. We need you to get the most production out of any other line on this team. Now go do it. And Travis Konechny, Claude Giroux, uh, Sean Couturier are more than capable of carrying this team tomorrow and in the playoffs. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see what he does tomorrow with the Lions. I mean, Michael Roth has scored a goal, right, in the right. game last night. So That's know, all he needs may, to see. And I think that – I don't think that him putting Konechny on the third line was a demotion. I think that basically what it was was he's seen how well he's been playing, and so he thought maybe I'll spread out the offense a little bit. Right. But, no, there's no reason to take Konechny off – that top line. Those three guys have been dynamic together. And Phil Pula, in any event, is your, your defensive specialist. You're putting him out in every defensive situation to try and prevent goals. So why do you have to try and offense up that line? Right? Haxtell always talks about how Connect needs the part of his game he's going to work on is his defensive responsibility. So I don't even know why you'd want to put him with Phil Pula, since Phil Pula is the guy he puts out there to prevent goals. So it's a lot of questionable decisions by Haxtell and I'm hoping that he's got Konechny back on the top line against the Rangers because it's going to be one of those games where I think, at least, it's going to be a low-scoring game. And so I think you want to maximize the chances that the top line has to score. And that's by putting Konechny out there with, with Giroux. And that second line has been great at generating scoring chances. With How about the, the chemistry that Lindblom and Nolan Patrick have been no, it's ridiculous. up with together? Those guys... You know, that's going to be a combination for this team for a long time to come. They're, they're, both of those guys, their offensive awareness is so good, and they're so good at making the little flip passes to each other, setting each other up. It's uh, Those guys have been really fun to watch. Um, real quick, I'm going to throw a couple of things at you because uh, I want to get into some uh, league-wide kind of fun news. But um, Nolan Patrick. Would you put him on that first power play line full time? It's a good question because I actually charged my memory about something I was going to mention earlier. So, so yeah, so Dave Haxtell made a change putting Nolan Patrick on that first unit instead of Wayne Simmons. And Patrick scored a couple of goals. That was a couple of games ago. Um, and the Flyers obviously didn't have a power play against Carolina, so we didn't get a chance to see what Hackstall was going to do, but I, I would leave Nolan Patrick on that first unit because I think they're going to end up trading Wayne Simmons in the off season. Yeah. So I think yeah, you want to get Patrick stuff about that. Yeah. I want to, you want to get Patrick more reps on that first unit and he's been great. I mean, he's, he's maybe not quite as good at Simmons as deflecting pucks, but he's better at sort of put, getting a little bit of space between him and the goalie and putting himself in a position where guys like Giroux and Voracek, who are such good passers, can find unique ways to get him the puck in scoring position. So I would probably do that. And this is the this is a huge offseason for Ron Hextall because the Wayne Simmons decision is going to be the first tough decision, first really tough decision he's kind of had to make as a GM. Right. So 
Simmons is an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year. He's going to command between five to six million a year. He'll probably get a five to six year deal from someone. And he's a third liner on the Flyers right now. And most of his production comes on the power play. So I think this offseason you try and look to trade Simmons. And there's been some talk. I put something out there about maybe trying to make a trade with the Calgary Flames to get uh, defenseman Dougie Hamilton, who's a right-handed defenseman, who's one of the leading defenseman goal scorers in the league. And maybe putting a package together of like Simmons and a first-round pick and maybe, you know, maybe something else. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I would put Patrick up on that unit because he's been better than Simmons recently. And I think you want to move Simmons in the offseason. Simmons really hasn't had it for most of the season, and Nolan Patrick has just been really productive on the power play and the chances he's got when Simmons went down with his injury and, like you said, the two goals that he scored a few nights ago. So I think I think it makes sense. Like I said, I'm not trying to get cute for the playoffs, so I would just, whatever's working, go with. And if Nolan Patrick being on that top uh, unit for the power play works, then go with it. My other question to you, Every uh, It seems like every playoffs, there's a guy for most teams that steps up, kind of a dark horse. Who is the dark horse for the Flyers in this playoff run? The dark horse for the Flyers in this playoff run. So I'll give you a forward and defenseman. Okay. So the forward, I would say, is Oscar Lindblom. Because I think his game really translates to scoring the kind of goals that you need in the playoffs. He's so good at finding the puck in front of the net. And see, there you go. You're usually the one who curses during our shows. I mistakenly added one in there. So (laughs) anyway, but Oscar Lindblom is good at finding the puck in front of the net and getting in a position to score the dirty goals. So I think he's a guy that's going to be crucial in the playoffs and is going to have some good matchups because other teams are going to be trying to match up against the Couturier line and the Patrick line with Lindblom and Forchek really taking advantage. Defensively, I think Travis Sanheim is the obvious answer. He's a guy who has been activating a lot more offensively recently, meaning that he's coming deep into the offensive zone a lot more um, than he had been at the beginning of the season and just playing a lot um, with more confidence and you know I think he's he's a really good offensive weapon that is going to come in big with the Flyers especially because let's say you start getting into some overtime games in the playoffs uh Sanheim is such a good skater and he's got a lot of energy that he can make a big difference so those would be the two guys that I would come up with yeah I I would say, I mean, they, they're they both obviously great choices. Um, for whatever reason, the first name that popped into my head was Jordan Wheel. Only because, you know, when I think Dark Horse, I think of a guy that, like, like you'd almost expect a, you know, a Sanheim or a Lindblom to step up because, you know, they've had, they've been playing well recently. I don't know, I just feel like Jordan Wheel has, you know, he's had such a disappointing season, and... I feel like he has that grittiness for a guy his size that he could be a real problem for teams in the playoffs. You know, he's that guy that you put him out there and he could just wear down the opponent because he's so shifty, he's so quick, and he kind of just, you know, gets his nose 
in where it doesn't belong and pisses people off. So I think he's a useful guys like him are a useful tool in the playoffs. So if I had to pick, I only have one. And for whatever reason, when I think dark horse, I just think Jordan wheel. So I'll probably end up being wrong on that front. And, you know, Lindblom will probably have, you know, a, a productive playoff series, but, uh, so we'll see, but I mean, this is yeah, it. I, this uh, is good. Yeah. No, I, I thought about Jordan wheel. The problem is, is he going to play? I mean, yeah, critical right. game against the Carolina Hurricanes, and Haxtell did not even have him in the lineup. Yeah. So that's a real that. question, right? I mean, the first obstacle that Wheels got overcome, and I do agree that he's been playing better of late, is that the coach has got him as one of those guys who he'll scratch. So Jordan Wheel didn't play against Carolina. We'll see what happens against the Rangers. And, you know, if, if the Flyers come back with the same lineup, which they often do after a win – and then they win again against the Rangers, is Wheel going to even be in the first game? So that's the question mark with Wheel. So now we have to get to the most important part of everything. This is our last episode before the playoffs start. So Dan Silver, great writer for Philly is Flyer, what is your overall prediction going into the playoffs? How far do the Flyers get? I think that uh, I think I really wish we were playing the Caps in the first round because I, I think that we can beat them. So it de- it really depends on what team we end up playing against. I, if the Flyers are playing against the Lightning or the Bruins, I just I don't think we're gonna gonna win that series. I think that our goaltending is not quite good enough to deal with the firepower of the Lightning, and I just think. Bruins are overall a better team than the Flyers. So if they're up against one of those teams, I don't think they win the series. I think they can beat the Caps. I I don't think they can beat the Penguins. So a lot of it's matchup related. But, right. you know, first things first, got to get into the playoffs. And I think this game against the Rangers is going to be really difficult. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um it all comes down to matchups, and as we sit right now, we don't know what the matchup's going to be. If it's either of those teams from the Atlantic, there's not much chance. It's probably out in five. Um, I think if it's – I even think if it's against Pittsburgh, it, I think they could push it to six. I don't like them in that one, but because of the division rivalry and because of all that stuff, I think they could push it to six and make it a fun, exciting series – and I think it's if it's Washington, just because I love a good long series, I think they could win that in seven, just because who doesn't love a game seven in any playoffs? Uh, but yeah, if they, if they have to Joffrey go up against. Yeah, yeah, I remember game that. Game seven in Washington. Yeah, I remember. But I remember most about that was Jeff Carter doing an interview after the game, and you just see a water bottle come <laughs> flying past his head on camera. Uh, that's fun. And it's probably Mike Richards trying to get a refill on his coat. <laughs> oh, those two. All right, so there's, there was a couple uh, NHL stories that stood out to me. Do you want the fun or do you want the sentimental first? Uh, well, I assume we're going to cover both. Let's go with the fun first. Okay, so the fun. So earlier this week, in a game between the Nashville Predators and the Florida Panthers, there was a questionable call at the end of the game. Uh, 
the Predators thought they scored a goal in the closing seconds of the third period to tie the game, only to find out that the goal was called back on a goaltender interference. Now, if you look at the uh, the tape, there probably wasn't goaltender interference. Even Roberto Luongo, when he let the goal in, just kind of laying there like, shit, I just let that puck in the net. So what does one fan of the Nashville Predators do? Now, to go back in time a little bit, the Nashville Predators, during their great cup run, not, well, they didn't make it, they didn't win the cup, but during their playoff run last year, their fans started to throw catfish on the ice. Of course, we know the Detroit Red Wings throw octopus on the ice. The Florida Panthers throw rats. The Flyers throw bracelets. So <laughs> Predators got in on the fun and are throwing catfish on the ice. So what does a fan do after the bullshit call? A fan for the Nashville Predators took the time to box up a dead catfish and mail it to the league offices of the <laughs> NHL. That's great. That, is I, that not the most petty thing you've ever heard, but the most awesome thing? By the way, do you know why Red Wings fans threw octopus on the ice? You know, I did, and I read the story, but I've, I, I, do, I forget, so you're going to have to refresh my memory. It's because when uh, that tradition started, you needed eight wins to win the Stanley Cup. The right. playoffs were only two rounds. So that's what the octopus signified was okay. the uh, whereas the Flyers fans throwing braces on the ice <laughs> signified that the Flyers were getting blown out by the Capitals and the fans were angry. And I would like to once again point out that I was at that game and did not throw my bracelet on the ice. I often like sometimes when I hear about that game I often wonder what I would have done in that situation, I guess it a lot of it has to do with the alcohol level in my body, but I, I mean, which I would have been pretty high. Yeah, probably. Yeah. By I mean, the but, way, yeah, the, the yeah. Pred- I and I I needed uh, I made a uh, the one wager I made on the NHL this season was betting the Predators to win the division when they yeah. were in third place. I got five to one. And so I'm in. very happy. I'm very happy that they did win the division. And I was very desperately hoping that that goal against the Panthers was going to count to tie the game with a second left. That being said, I didn't think the goal should have counted because it looked like the Panthers player kind of rotated Luongo around with his stick a little bit. Okay. And so I I actually agree with the goalie interference call there. Right, but well, um, zone, I would not uh... have boxed up a dead catfish and sent it to the league office. The thought process that goes into that and then to execute it is next level. So good on him. I'm proud of the uh, the up-and-coming fans of the Nashville Predators. Now, the other major story from the league this week, the Sedin twins came into the league. Now, it's not so much sentimental that I want to go with here. It's just like I don't understand the mentality of twins. It's by the grace of God, they come into the league together. They get drafted by the same team, and now they are choosing to retire together after the same season. I mean, the Canucks, a lot of it probably has to go into the fact that the Canucks have not been good in the last couple of seasons, but this, I mean, kind of reflect a little bit on the Sedins as I think it's they are just this huge anomaly in the league. This these two twin brothers that came into the league drafted by the same team 
remained on the same team their entire careers together, and now they're going to walk away together. And I saw the video of them doing their skate around the ice after their final home game. Very good stuff. I just think the Sedins are something that we're never going to see again in sports. Their journey, their ride through their career together. Yeah, I still actually remember watching that draft in 1999 when Brian Burke, I believe, made the trade so that he could draft both of the Sedins, I think second and third. I think Patrick Stefan went first overall in that draft, and Daniel Sedin went second, and uh, Henrik Sedin went third. And both guys scored over 1,000 points in the NHL, which is incredible. Remarkable. And what a story that, you know, there was it the final home game, and yeah. I think was it Daniel that scored the goal in overtime? I mean, <laughs> from Henrik. Just so cool. Yep, Daniel scores from Henrik in overtime. It's hard to come up with a better moment than that. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, they had a good run there for a little bit in uh, excuse me, in Vancouver. Uh, they had some good seasons. They made that one push for the Stanley Cup, and then the Canucks fans subsequently burned down the um, you know, burned down the city afterwards, but. I hearken back to the list that I brought up earlier of players uh, in their 30-year-old season, and both Henrik and Daniel are in the top 20. Daniel is in, he is ranked 10th on this list. He had 104 points at that time. So the point is, they haven't slowed down much later in their careers. uh, Yeah. So, I mean, a, a great... Great career by the both of them, and like I said, we're probably never going to see it again in sports where two twin brothers play together for the same team for their entire career. So congratulations to the Sedins, and uh, I know how big we are amongst the Swedish listeners, so they're going to like the uh, the couple of minutes that the Sedins got. Another two other great Swedish players added to the list. So... um. I think that's yeah. a good place to stop here. This episode of getting bullied big, uh, obviously big week coming up for the flyers playoff start for the NHL. That's always fun. It's the best time of the year. The NHL playoffs will be upon us. They start Wednesday night. It's exciting shit strap in because it is the most fun ride in sports are the NHL playoffs. Dan silver. Give us where we can find you on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter at, at D silver 88. Give me a follow and, uh, talk some hockey, throw some stuff out there. And then, um, you can uh, check out my articles at Philly is I've got some prospect articles up there. I'll probably do another one after the playoffs have, have finished. And uh, a lot of exciting flyers prospects all over the place in the, uh, Canadian Junior League playoffs. So, so yeah, so Twitter at DSilver88 and check out my articles and everyone else's articles at uh, phillyisflyer.com. All righty. As for me, follow me on Twitter at markflagman2ends. Follow this show at underscore getting bullied. And of course, as always, you can find us on SoundCloud and comment, rate, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and just drink it in because we're going to be we're, we're ready to go for the playoffs and our next episode will be in the middle of a playoff race for the Flyers 
So until that time, let's go Flyers. Let's go to the playoffs. And good night, sweetie.